Welcome to the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I'm Andrew Whaley. Today, Andrew and I have been discussing nature. What episode is this? I think it's episode 35. Boy, it's, okay, so first of all, we need to apologize. It's been a while. It's been too long. It's been way too long. We we just kind of took a... We like doing this too much not to do it and not to... Right. We took kind of an unplanned hiatus. I don't know. It is... It's terrible. I mean, I was traveling. You were traveling. There's so much going on. I was traveling? No, I was traveling. Yeah, I wasn't traveling. You didn't travel. When did I travel? Okay, I was traveling and... Oh, you had a baby. That's right. Oh, you know. Well, that happens. Yeah. So you had a baby. I was traveling. And uh, yeah, and you're about to travel... Yeah, and I'm about to be really busy, so we're gonna knock one out here. Nice little podcast for everybody, and mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa for it taking so long. Well, anyway, now that we're here, uh, nature. Yeah, we've been thinking about nature and how we relate to it, and it's kind of confusing. I would say it's frustrating because. Uh, very few people agree nowadays on like what we why we exist like why are we here kind of question right and then that and because we don't agree on that question then we can't agree on all sorts of other things like how are we supposed to interact with the world around us and our very own bodies mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting well, we don't we can't even agree on what we mean by the word nature I mean it's like we think of one person, you say nature, and they think, oh, this random set of ones and zeros. It's just atoms and the space in between them. And the only thing that makes anything different is the geometric position of the relationship of these atoms and the space in between them, right? But, and of course, I find that absurd because if you break everything down to just spatial relationships of atoms, then... There's only a slight difference between feeding a hungry child and eating a hungry child, <laughs> but and that's and that seems like that that makes all the difference, and then that paradigm doesn't really account for that, right? We're more than the sum of our parts in some way, but then or we're this Darwinist kind of thing that just fell out, you know, and it's just and so we should fight back against it and do whatever. Yeah, know? I mean, to me, it seems like it would have been easier to think about this question before we discovered the nature of the universe. We discovered the nature of the universe? Well, in that we've discovered how vast the universe is, right? And that we're just one tiny planet in the midst of a giant solar system, in the midst of a giant galaxy, in the midst of a giant universe that's many other galaxies, you know? Like, before we figured that out, and before we figured out how divisible nature is, and that you can... You can whittle it down not just to, you know, a part, but to a cell and beyond a cell to things within a cell like mitochondria and the nucleus. And mm-hmm. and then you can go even further all the way down to the atomic level, you know. To, and then yeah. you can even go smaller than atoms now. You can get quarks. Right. You know, so there's like this kind of confusion that results because of all of that. So you're saying we've gotten... We've gotten too big of a picture and too small, too small of a picture at the same time, you know. Yeah, well, it's just gotten infinitely complex in both directions. But what's interesting, though, is that this would be a good. We should next time Robert Spitzer's around, we should interview him. But don't you look you think at the, that's part of the problem? Well, like, that, like, it used to be so much more simple to think it, about. It these is, things but I think because you could just think about the other people you encountered in the trees and the squirrels and stuff. You didn't have to think about right. the fact that we're this tiny little planet in the midst of this 
enormously huge universe. Well, it seems, how to say it, okay, two things. First, when you go to the big, big, big and to the small, 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 you start seeing things that look really intriguing and kind of like they're kind of ordered, right? I mean, it's even in the big, big, big picture, you start seeing the like universal constant and all these different things that, that Spitzer talks about and some of those new laws for the new proofs for the existence of God, where it looks like, wow, this whole giant game was set up so intelligent life could kind of be in some way. So it's kind of like if you went to the end of a very long journey that seemed completely random to see some big thing and you finally got there after being lost and all this stuff. And when you got there, there was a name, there was a table with a name tag with your name on it. It's kind of like, oh, hey, this this journey, this journey wasn't completely unrelated to me in some way, right? You know? So, and then the other thing is that it seems like I think there's something akin to to like to like Newton and his laws of nature and the way things act, right? We know that when things get really small, Newton kind of breaks down. And we know when things get really, really big and really fast and really far away and stuff, Newton kind of breaks down, right? But... We're talking about Newtonian physics, if, yeah. if you didn't catch like the... Yeah, Newtonian... Not uh, fig I, Newtons. Isaac Newton, yeah. So... But in, in kind of in our world, you know, you know that Newton thing kind of works, right? The, and so I think there's something akin to that with, like, the philosophy of common sense in the sense of, like, things kind of are the way we perceive them. We can kind of know essences. We can know what things are. We can see that things act for an end and all that. And just because we understand that the story gets way more complex as you go deeper and way more complex as you go farther away in the big picture doesn't change the fact that this is an aspect of it right here. You know, where we are in this medium-sized place, right? Well, yeah, right. I think a lot of times we want theories that explain everything, right? Which is why Newtonian physics has been thrown out, right? Mm. Because we want a theory that, that accounts for everything, not just for a theory that accounts for our own experiences. Mm-hmm. But I guess the thing is, is that, as I was saying before we started recording, I think that this um i think i mean i i think i think that there's this there's this moment in western thought that and it sounds so obscure because no one knows about this stuff and no one knows about what came before or whatever and it's all eggheads writing books off in offices someplace but when when descartes turns everything anthropocentric and towards the human and makes us the center of the story and when Bacon um, denies two of the four Aristotelian causes, and we we no longer have a formal cause where things aren't something, right? And the and the final cause, the the, 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 the their, their purpose, so to speak, is we're not certainly not for anything. So all you have left is what is it made of, the material cause, and how did it get with? How did it get that way? The efficient cause, and so the only way you can really know something is to remake it in a lab, right? And so if I ask you, if I ask an ancient the chief philosophical question that Socrates is asking people, right, what is it? I say, what is it? If I pointed a dog and ask a modern, what is it? He's going to give me a recipe. 
He's going to give me a list of the constituent parts to make up a dog and a punch list on how they go together. And that's a dog. And if that's reality and if that's what a dog is, that's why we think you can rearrange your parts or swap them out and you're something else. Right? Which has been all over the news here lately. Okay. You know, that's interesting that you use those those terms because it makes me wonder if um, modern manufacturing actually has led to this way of thinking. Or this way of thinking led to modern manufacturing properly. Well, maybe. I mean, but it's certainly been a vicious circle at this point. Right. So, I mean, what what I'm talking about is, you know, it used to be like if you wanted to go buy, oh, I don't know, a lamp or something, right. you went to the lamp maker. Well, it's probably a bad example because it's like pre light bulbs. If you wanted a pair of shoes, you went to the cobbler, the cobbler, and he made you a pair of shoes just for you, mm-hmm. and and then you came back later and you tried them on and you bought them. Uh, but then, of course, um, modern manufacturing dawned, what, late, late 1700s? Mm-hmm. With this idea of removable parts. Or what is it called? Replaceable parts? Removable parts? Um, interchangeable parts. Interchangeable parts. Right? So you could have, like, a shoe factory. Right. Right? Uh, and you could have people on assembly line putting shoes together in different standard sizes, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of mentality of interchangeable parts that we use toward manufactured goods has started to be applied to places that it shouldn't be. Right. And so, <laughs> no pun intended. No, no. Um, perfectly intended. Right. So then you see, um, I guess the core thing that we need to talk about is what is our relationship? Okay. I've said this before. I think that, and I think this is, I think this is absolutely true. So you look at the last century, right? And I think that, I think Carol Wojtyla or John Paul II was right that the key question of this century was the anthropological question: What is a person, and what do they do, and what is our stance towards a person? Right. I think the big overarching question that's emerging for our century is what is nature and what is our relationship to it. And I think that we have this classical Western paradigm that says. Nature is given. We are part of a cosmological whole. We have a nature. You are a kind of thing. You're a something. There's a particular kind of thing. You have faculties. These faculties have ends. And without trying to impose religion on it, we see a, a givenness and a teleology within that givenness. And maybe we see uh, the, 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 we make the theological conclusion out of that that there is a God. But we're not imposing it. We're seeing it, right? We see the cow in the field, the horse over here, the deer we saw, these dogs. Over, you know, we see all this stuff. And we go, oh, I see. In mammals, you know, in pretty much all the things that we can kind of get a look at, sex is for the sake of there being more of that species, right? Because, and, oh, I'm a mammal. I'm a primate, in fact. Oh, it looks like the monkey. We were at the school. We were at the zoo. Monkeys, same thing. That's what it's for the sake of. And so we are somehow in something bigger than us. But if you say, no, 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 no. Nature is just a bunch of material. And the only thing that makes anything anything is the punch list of the efficient cause. Then if we change the order or we change those instructions on that punch list... It becomes something else. So I can take the the paint that's on my palette that is me. And if I want to paint that canvas a different way and be a woman, or if I want to take the a natural ordered 
unit like the family and I want to swap something out and still call it that and do something else with it, I can because we're completely in control. All we have to do is swap these parts out. Yeah. You know? Well, it also, I mean, it's it's kind of like an Android way of looking at humanity. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like thinking of uh, your body as if it's a machine. Right. Uh, and that if you're an Android, that's the, that's the, that is the case. You could have like a chainsaw installed in your stomach if you want because you you're made of parts, right? right? But if you're a human being, that's not the case. It'd be yeah. cooler if the chainsaw was on their arm. Well, okay. Because then they could be like a battle android or that'd something. That'd be more, right? a more logical place to put it than on the stomach. I was just trying to be absurd. Uh, but, but, but you could put it on the stomach. Yeah. Right, so if we were androids, like that would be an appropriate way of thinking about it, right? Right. But we're not. We're not androids. So you can't just like I think replace you... your hand with a chainsaw. So there you go. If you... You look at the, co- the the concept of consciousness and the, all the philosophy around AI, and you know the Chinese box argument and all that stuff. And then you look at the way we're looking at, like we're swapping out parts from other people with the organ transplants. Now they're right. building like fake knees and fake ankles and stuff, and you know pretty soon. You know, we'll, you know, we'll have a fake head or something. You know, you'll be able to put your brain in a jar. Yeah, but, I mean, see, this is where it gets weird because if you're so, thinking, we kind of there is a there is an the an an animal is in one aspect kind of like an android in the sense that it has parts and they communicate, and you can swap one out, but at some point, you can't. You know how to say it? It's like. There's, there's the old question about if you if you take a Chevy and you start putting Ford parts on it and Ford parts on it, at what point does it stop being a Chevy, right? It's right. Like, at what point is it, this is now a Ford. The frame? Did you swap the frame out? Is that what it is? I mean, you know, I think that we're kind of like asking that on the natural level with our bodies and our families and our cities and our agriculture and a bunch of different things. Yeah. I, it, okay, I, I, well... There are a lot of things I want to say, but what just made me th- laugh was it made me think of in Star Trek. Yeah. Right, how they have the replicator. Yeah. You know, and they've got, and they produce food and whatever using right. the replicator. But they always have this conversation about the synthahol, right? They're like, oh, this isn't real alcohol. This is synthahol, right? You can't actually get drunk off of synthahol, and it doesn't taste as good. And, like, everybody knows that, like, it doesn't taste as good, but they still drink it anyway because it's all they have, you know? Right. Well, um, it's everything about the replicator. They'll, they'll, the, have you ever noticed there's a two or three times in the franchise that someone will come back from a planet or something and they'll have some real Some real fruit, food. Or yeah. like some real, yeah. or this is a real bottle of wine or this is yeah. a real. And they're like, oh, gosh. I mean, because they, but, and people forget what it tastes like. Right. You know? Right. What the real and, thing tastes like instead of the fake copy. Yeah. Just as an aside, I am so excited about this. I got a new consulting contract, and the building that this consulting contract is in was used in one of the new Star Trek films for Starfleet headquarters. <laughs> so I, so if you're listening, family, my 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 Trekkie family should like I should gain some points because I am building a cafe wide bar in, in Starfleet headquarters. <laughs> Which I take way too much pleasure in. Congratulations. I mean, I'm not like that level of Trekkie. I'm not like a, I've got a uniform Trekkie. I'm, looking at, I'm looking at you, Kane Kramer. Um, you know, but You've looked at them on eBay, though. I have not looked at them on eBay. <laughs> but I'm fairly sure that I've got a couple members of my family that would possibly buy a uniform. And they certainly would be 
if they knew if there was a if there was a convention nearby, they would probably go. You know. So okay, so if if we are not made of interchangeable parts, this raises a couple questions. Like, what are we exactly? Well, maybe we are made of interchangeable parts. Does that mean that that's what we are? Well, I mean, are there certain parts that you're allowed to to interchange and other ones you're not? Well, and there's a question. Can you... I mean, let's say... Can you alter the design? Can you alter the design or can you just alter the matter? You can replace your foot with a foot. You can replace your hand with a hand or your heart with a heart. Or your kidney with a kidney. Right, but is there... I mean, right here in the news, is there some parts that you can replace, but you still are what you are, right? And that's, you can't, when you start replacing things, you know, right now we're saying, you know, we're seeing like the, the, the all the gender stuff, you know, if you replace your, your genitalia, are you now the other sex? Okay, no, because there's this. Okay, okay, what if I could replace the womb and the parts and everything. What if I could make it completely the different parts? Or are you different? What about CRISPR? Right? Right. Like what if with – you remember CRISPR, our discussion about this? You t- I remember it's the, it's the It's the new gene editing technique. Oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's only yeah. a couple years old, but it's like super precise. What if right. they could inject you with some CRISPR stuff? Right, right, right. right. And destroy your Y chromosome. Right. On purpose. So is a man – or a woman or a human, because I think the next one is going to be transspecial stuff. People are going to literally try to start becoming... I don't think anyone's going to try to become a dog or a, a really try to become a cat. I think that they will try to become become something other than human. How about a centaur? There you go. That'd be pretty cool. Or reverse centaur, who everyone thinks is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like a horse head with a human body? I saw I saw a meme on the internet that just had this this father like this horrified father putting his hands over the child's eyes, and it just had the guy for the back with a horse head and a guy body, you know, but he didn't have anything on and he was just waving it and it says, Everyone hates everyone hates reverse centaur. <laughs> just like <laughs> and it was so creepy looking. He's like, Hey guys, and it's like everyone hates reverse centaur. Yeah, so you're going to try to become a reverse centaur. Or like try to like, uh, people are going to try to alter their, I don't know, maybe like how I, I got four fingers. I'm a Simpsons character or something. I don't know. Well, it's like, I don't know. They're going to. I, I mean, I think one of the places that brain science wants to go is to try to figure out the code, so to speak, of the brain. Right. Right. So that we could either add information to it, take information away from it. Or do really bizarre things that only appear in Star Trek, like upload your brain to the internet, right? Uh, and then download your brain into an android body. I really, I really kind of am hoping they do come up with that Matrix thing where you can just stick the thing in the back and you're like, now you know Kung Fu. You know, and then you, you put a new program, it's like... Oh, now I understand Aristotle's posterior analytics. You know, it's like, I mean, I, you could just like, you just have, I buy the great book set, you know, plug myself in, you know, you come out educated. Yeah, you know? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth But then you'd be an educated kind of human. But see, that's the thing is, is that I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Uh, in that, in that, you know, when you store information on a hard drive, yeah, right, you're storing it in these discrete units of ones and zeros or whatever. Right, right. But information stored in our brains, to me, seems like it's interconnected, right? Well, like that there's more than one way in which one piece of information relates to all of the others. 
And so to me, it seems like the only way that, and this is all obviously like almost like science fiction speculation, but this is where brain science wants to go. The only way that you could do it is if you were able to like copy a portion of somebody else's brain, right? Mm. And then like install that copy in a new person's brain. Well, and they're trying to go the other with direction. With all of its interconnections. And they're trying to go the other direction with creating AI because they're trying to right. mimic the structure of the human brain right. in a computer with all the interconnection and the, the fuzzy logic of the moment and, you know, and all that stuff. I just saw that movie, um, oh, the one, the new one, the AI one. Uh, gosh, it's going to drive me nuts. What's the, the guy's on the, he got, the guy has, he's a living Turing test for a week. And he goes off and it's the guy that's supposed to be like the founder of Google. They call it Blue Book in the movie. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Uh, oh, Ex Machina. And that was stunning because he's talking to this robot woman, and they're and they're they're trying to figure out what would what would it take for us to say that she's sentient, you know? And he, he's he's devising questions and interactions and stuff right. and everything. And it's so so in some sense, it's like they're trying to figure out what is it about our structure, but. It, that they can take out and then put in something else and then that thing will be intelligent, so to speak. But what's funny is that that all presupposes what we went back to with Bacon and all that, that the only thing that something is, is the parts in the punch list. Right. The, it's the recipe. Right. And if you can just get these parts and you can put them together, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's just like cooking. And I don't think that's the case. And that's not classically how we viewed it through a cross of... Nor is it good cooking. No, no, it's certainly not good cooking. But I don't know. It's a, I mean, how we relate. It, I, it seems to me that there's been a great many systems of thought in in the world, especially, or even even in the world, mostly in the West, but even outside the West, who view the cosmological whole and the nature of things and nature itself as something that has some sway over them. That they're responsible to, to in some way yield to that givenness, the 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 they're of the whole that they're part of, right? You know, but now we're kind of like for a bunch of different reasons: a materialist reason, a Darwinist reason, uh, these pan species reasons, I mean, all these different weird reasons. We're all viewing nature as some parts on a shelf that we can use to make whatever we want to make out of ourselves, out of the family, out of the city, out of the farm, out of all these different things that we used to think were kind of natural forms. Yeah, it's a, it's a very um, hubristic way of looking at the world, right? I mean, it's, it, it's a sort of, uh, it's, a, it's an idea of self-mastery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with mastering the self. Mm-hmm. But it has to do with the self-mastering everything else. Right. Right. Uh, and this is really problematic, right? Because cause traditional forms of self-mastery, I mean, whether you're thinking of like, um, you know, like Zen Buddhism and like, uh, and, the, and the kind of uh, martial arts that are associated with it, or if you think of uh, Western-style asceticism, you know, traditional self-mastery is all about like mind over matter or about... You know the spirit triumphing over the desires of the body, this kind of thing. Um, where, I, in order to gain the next level of enlightenment or spiritual growth, I need to master myself. I need to become dis- disciplined. I need to um, not allow myself to be tempted, right, by the 
the merely bodily desires that I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this new form of self-mastery is very different and almost sinister, right? Because it it basically says, um, I don't need to eat well, or I don't need to exercise, or I don't need to um, refuse myself anything. Right. Right. I'm going to do whatever I want. And take a pill. Yeah. Right. And and I basically like I'm going to uh, I'm going to lord it over my body. Mm-hmm. Right. And show it who's boss by either, you know, trying to live forever like that crazy uh, casino owner guy in, right. in Atlantic City. Right. Um, or I'm going to, I'm going to control my mind by downloading information into it rather than actually mastering my own abilities. Right and like learning how to learn There's and like actually eating well and actually exercising and actually doing the hard work right. of what it means to be like a good human. And there is, it seems like there's a how to say there's a there's a certain freedom to sanity and to ex- embracing one's limitations. Right. I'm thinking of right. like um the uh, the the that the, the, there's that section where G.K. Chesterton talks about the guy says you can go to any asylum. And find someone who thinks they're God. And he says, well, maybe you are God. But what a small universe it is that you're God over. With the stars and the moon painted on the inside of your eyelids. Because <laughs> it's like you're, the outer edge of you is the edge of the universe, right? Right. right. And he says, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be better not to be God? But live in a universe that was so much bigger and so much more wonderful, you know? Right. You know? And, it's, and it seems like... But I think that I think here's where it's gotten even more sinister and weirder, is that everything that we've been talking about is how to say it. We've begun to view things that are natural as the way we used to view artifacts and art, and so we've now turned the corner where we are doing to ourselves as art. What like Marcel Duchamp did with um, Fountain, you know, where he takes a he takes a a, a urinal, signs it with a marker that says "Our Mutt," hangs it on a wall, calls it Fountain, and it's art. And that was the big shot over the bow of like, no, art is the intention of the artist, and it is what he wants it to be and perceives it to be because that's the real thing is his perception and his intention right and then that's all this modern weird art came out of that but now we're kind of making that turn now where it's one thing for someone to take a bunch of hormones get breast implants cut off their penis start dressing like a woman and do everything they can do to become as much like a woman as possible but in the modern world it's like you can just identify as a woman Maybe you can't afford or you don't want to do the surgery or you don't want to change anything. You don't want to take the pills. You can just be a 350-pound guy with a beard, with a deep voice that has a job in a warehouse and go, I'm a woman. I perceive as a woman. And everyone has to say, yes, you are. We have turned ourselves into modern art. But doesn't that, yeah, I mean, it just becomes kind of like a kind of like uh, group think in the worst sense, right? It just becomes kind of like group insanity or something. Right. Where like, uh, or like the emperor has no clothes kind of kind of deal. Right. It's a, exactly. The emperor has no clothes. It's like you have to, and that's why you can't know 
So you have to ask them, <laughs> what are you? Oh, yeah. oh, I thought you were a human male. Right. <laughs> but And then there's all been all this conversation. I mean, for instance, in the realm of gender, you and I are both what they would call cisgender, where our physical bodies match our self-perception, and those things both match society's perception of us. Now, admittedly, 99.99% of people are cisgender, but it's just one gender. There's others. And I'm like, well, don't don't more people than that have sickle cell anemia or autism or something? It's like, I mean, is, are we going to start defining any small fraction of humanity that has a characteristic, no matter how well, I, I think bad even, it is? I think even more interesting are the, uh, the trans-abled. That is frightening. Yeah. Which I don't even fully understand. Maybe you can hash it out. Well, I mean, I read a couple articles about it right in the in the wake of all this gender stuff and all this body modification and stuff. It, there's people in this world. And what's weird is when you start researching it online, there's a lot of... Um, they have a lot of links to both the body modification world of like, you know, people who get weird piercings and add stuff and cut things and change the shape of things and stuff as part, like getting tattooed. Part of that tattoo and piercing culture gone to is an extreme... But it's also part of the whole, like, fetishist, the, the fetish culture, too, you know, and I think some of it maybe has kind of a sexual aspect to it. But there's people who seemingly don't inhabit that strange body mod world, and this has nothing really to do with sex, who just identify as disabled. There's, like, a woman in South Carolina, has perfectly good legs, works just fine, and she lives her day-to-day life wearing leg braces and in a wheelchair. Because she feels like that's how she should be. There was another guy that just never felt like his left arm was part of him. And it shouldn't be there. And he devised a way to have it cut off. Faking an accident. Because he wanted it off. Yeah. So, now a lot of people, it's funny, a lot of people have gotten really mad about this. But all the people that are mad about it, they're just worried that they're going to make themselves disabled and then ask for disability. So it's yeah. the profit. The profit motive is actually what's offending everyone, not the fact that they have something that other people would kill for, like working legs. Right. And they want to take them off. Right. Right. Talk to, look at some. I want one of these transable people to literally be put in a room with a vet who had his legs blown off by an IED. And look at them in the eye and go, man, you are so lucky. I wish I was like you. I, I, I bet they wouldn't have the guts to do it. This is, or they would just be crazy. Yeah, I mean, see, I just, so at one point, do you go? This is just body. This is another form of body dysmorphia. But why isn't gender dysmorphia just still like it wasn't the DSM before? Another form of body dysmorphia, like people who are anorexic that think they're fat but their ribs are showing. You know why is it? Why is that different? You know. And we could go way down the gender body mod rabbit hole, but this I think this is part of a bigger picture that's going on, and it's indicative. Yeah, I just... The whole thing's very puzzling to me. But I think you're right that it goes back to this kind of industrial model of, of thinking about of our, about nature and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, that, that these kinds of um, dysmorphias, if you want to call them that... Mm-hmm. that we're witnessing are, are really the result of thinking of the human body as if it's just a conglomeration of interchangeable parts. But it goes beyond the body, too. Look at um, 
And we've talked at the risk of going in down the food rabbit hole because we've been on that so much in our podcast, but we haven't talked about it in a while. I mean, if you take a cow that's designed to eat grass, I mean, remember when you learned how to read music when you were a little kid? All cows eat grass, A C E G. And it's like, that's because it was like everyone knew that, right? Well, now they don't eat grass, they eat soybeans and corn and a bunch of weird genetically modified weirdness, right? Why? Because it makes them fatter faster. It puts more marbling in them. Yeah, why don't we talk about something even less controversial than that? What about just like having a lawn yeah. that you mow? <laughs> That's interesting. Right. I mean, will you take will you take like a species that doesn't normally grow in your region? Yeah. Like Kentucky bluegrass. And you plant it in your front yard and you water the heck out of it and you fertilize it and all of that and you cut it to a certain length. Like, that's pretty unnatural. Yeah, but I think that there is a... I think there's a place where you can alter nature or shape and tame nature in a way that is in accord with its being. Um, and there's, like the, there's an old joke about um, somebody was visiting a, a monastery and um, or some, some kind of a situation, and there was all this garden, and it says... You know, yeah, this used to just be wild or something like that. And, he, and, he's, and, and, the, and the, the punchline was, um, well, yeah, you should have seen it when God was in charge of it. Like, it was just a bunch of brambles and stuff. It's like, now it looks like this, kind of jokingly going, yeah, God was, God was just letting it go, you know. But so I think there's a, I think there is a, um, there's a, a place for. But see, that's, that's the question, right? Is where is the line between like the appropriate taming of nature and like right. the abuse of nature or the. The kind of undoing of it. Right. What is it? Is taking an animal. So you have an auroch, right? Like one of those giant cows, the huge horns that you see, like, you know, they're in ancient Roman writings and stuff. I mean, it was they, it was a fierce giant beast. And then you they tame them and they turn them into oxen or whatever over time. And you breed them down and all that stuff. So it's like, what is it when we domesticate an animal? Is that different? From, so we're no longer hunting? We're now farming. Is animal husbandry at its core the same thing? And I say that there's, if you take a cow and you just put a fence up and the cow can't get away. So over time, he becomes the kind of cow that does better in a place where he can't get away. But you're still feeding him what he normally eats and he's still moving around. He just can't go too far because you always have to be able to get to him to to her, to milk her, or to him, to kill, you know, to her, to kill him eventually and eat him or something, you know, it's like, and that's hunting. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's very organized, local, purposeful hunting is kind of the old animal husbandry. But when we get these giant feedlots where you're, you're just basically making Franken food out of a living being and then wondering why we have all this inflammation based lack of wellness in America based on the omega-6 and all these weird hormones and all this stuff. Girls, there's a good example. Girls going into puberty, like nine, ten years old. And if you look back, I read a a a really fascinating article, I think like Time or Newsweek or something, back when I was an undergrad. And it talked about, they were showing that the time of puberty has been getting lower and lower over the years. And they interviewed someone from the lingerie industry. And they said, we could have told you this. The average age that a girl gets her first bra has gone down by one year, roughly, of age, every 10 years in the last 100 years. 
And they trace it back, and the argument, one of the arguments being made. It can't be 100. You can't go back that far. Well, not 100 years, but, you know, like in the last, you know, over the last century. Yeah. You know, it used to be like 17 or something like that. Now it's like 12 or something. So, and it's, they're tracing it back to um, when you're drinking milk your entire life, pump full of hormones, that the cows have been pumped full of hormones. Right. To make them keep them pregnant and stuff all the time and all this, you know, make, you know, to do things to their body to make them fertile and stuff like that. That in, or, and then also another one is like when you're ingesting water out of the tap, that a, a, a millions and millions and millions of women have been peeing into the system after taking hor- uh, contraception, all that estrogen going into the system. There's like right over here in Boulder, there was a stream where all the fish were female. Yeah. From all those college girls going to the bathroom out and being on the pill. Well, it's also plastics as well. Plastics. Leech, leech artificial things that imitate the action of estrogen. And soy. Yeah. Soy has... Unfermented soy. Unfermented soy. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll take it. That's yeah. fine. Has phytoestrogens. Well, traditional preparations of soy involve fermentation, which gets ah. rid of that stuff. Okay, like, so there you like go. Like tempeh, for example. So all these, all these people that are wanting to be quote-unquote heart-healthy... Because somewhere along the line, Ansel Keys decided that the, our preferred storage of our, our preferred uh, our body's preferred storage of um, storage form for energy, saturated fat, was this giant poison that was killing right, us. Right. But you eat a vegan meal and your body turns it into lard and then uses it. It's like, but if you eat lard, you're just gonna die. And of course, that has had its you know, that idea has had its day. You know, but okay. So we did go down to the food rabbit hole. Okay, we went down the food rabbit hole. I'm sorry. You know me. You're not really sorry. I'm kind of sorry. No, you're not. A little bit sorry. You shouldn't touch my foot. I'm playing footsie with Mark. (laughs) 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 This podcast just took a whole new turn. Oh my goodness. See, that's a kid's nature. Me playing footsie with you under the table. I I was doing that to prove a point. Because you've been drinking too much water in Boulder. Exactly. That's what it was. Dang you, Boulder. I'm not hanging out at you anymore. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, I've been talking for every talk. Well, I, I just think we need to bring it back to principles, right? It's like, what, what do we, what are we, right? right. And, and, like, why does that matter? Mm-hmm. Are, are questions that we need to ask, right? We need to ask the questions and talk about those things and not just pretend like we're just machines with brains but there's the problem is that and we used to take the answers to those questions were kind of a fundamental presupposition our relationship to nature because we didn't really have an option right the nature had sway over us so to speak right and so now you look at um i get it you look at you know, look at, we, we brought up contraception for instance right so People, a woman's going to say, look, I don't want to have a bunch of kids. And I, and then someone else says, well, you were, your body is made to have children. Well, I don't care what my body was made. I don't want to have children. Well, I mean, and I can, now I can do this and I'm going to not. And it's like, well, you can't, should you play along with what nature did for us? You know, well, no, I'm going to, I'm going to ingest a, a large amount of estrogen and trick my body into thinking it's pregnant. Well, you shouldn't. Well, why? Well, I don't know. We just we just don't think you should. And then they get. And then when finally it comes around, well, 
And then they throw a bunch of revelation at her. Well, my book says you should. Or the people who interpret my book for me say you shouldn't. Well, I, oh, great. I didn't buy into your book. Right. So right. there's a problem is that we're in the West where religion and philosophy have emerged, whether it's looking at nature, taking common sense seriously, and then all Aristotle kind of coming out of that and then the influence Aristotle has had and then Bacon and all that. And their rejection of Aristotle is still kind of Aristotle's influence because they're rejecting all that right. and it's the reaction to, right? And then the religion has risen up kind of in conversation and dialogue and using that language. Well, when some, But when, when we mass depart from that whole paradigm... Right. Yeah, we're not even thinking philosophically anymore. But the problem is, is all this stuff about nature was kind of the presuppositions that we could kind of start from to build philosophy on. Right, right. And we don't think that way anymore. Right. I, don't, I the, This thing that scares me is that we're going, I think we're going to have to go, we're going to have to live out a reductio ad absurdum until everything just goes to hell in a handbasket and we're going to go, oh, that was a bad idea. Because you can't use logic. Look at, look at, look at what's happened. We say, um, in the modern in the modern pro life movement, we say, okay, well, um, why is a baby five minutes before it's born any different than a baby five a- five minutes after it's born? And the guys in Belgium went, "You're right, infanticide. Let's do it." <laughs> it's yeah. like we're, yeah. we're like so. We you almost can't you almost can't argue philosophically because people don't have the fundamental impulse to have the common sense. When you, you take it to or no, to the absurd, and they go, "Oh, that's awesome! Let's do that." Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. I, I think we've. When sanity and logic goes out the window, what do you do? What do you have left? I mean, what do you appeal to? Maranatha. Yeah. No. It's 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 like there is no playing field on which to play the game anymore. Right. The the playing field. It's not. That, it's not that the playing field needs to be leveled. Right. It's that there is no playing field. Here's. Yeah, and, and and so like there are lots of people that just aren't willing to have those conversations or to even think in that manner. Well, I think that here I, I think I've put together what I'm trying to say in a more cogent way. Religion, philosophy, metaphysics, etc., arises from the basis of man's experience of reality and nature through the senses and and the way he thinks about things and, and it kind of as it's given, right? And but now we have so this ended, you know, all this view, you know, Aristotle begat St. Thomas, St. Thomas begat, um, you know, not begat, but, you know, that it evolves and goes and then boom, then they, scholasticism gets really dead and scary. You should see all the hand movements. That I'm making a bunch of hand movements. Yeah. We should put a video, a periscope or something of me and my hand movements. And then. And then the scholastics get really dead and dry, and they kind of and there's all these people suffering, and people look at natural philosophy and go, "That's not I don't you can call it scientia. That's not science. We need to like do something to drain this swamp so we can grow something." And then Bacon and Descartes make us the center of thing, and the changing and manipulating of matter becomes what knowledge is all about. To heck with your occult causes and all that. And then the scientific method, the industrial revolution, interchangeable parts, Henry Ford, Apple, you know, at all. And now this thing that grew out has so radically changed our basic view of reality that we now no longer have the fundamental presuppositions 
that all this grew out of. And so this is all just kind of floating out there unrooted anything because we don't share what it was rooted in anymore. And that's why people look at philosophy or ethics and they treat it the exact same as revealed religion. I say that is wrong or that is good or that is true or that is beautiful. And if I'm talking about something other than matter and energy, they go, great. And what did the, what did the Easter Bunny say about it? Right. right. Because, or did the, did the spaghetti monster is behind the sun sending me the invisible marshmallows? It's all the same thing to them because you're not – it's positivism. We're not talking about stuff that we can pinch, you know? Right. So I don't know. I, I don't know. When, when you kill your foundation – well, yeah, it also what do we go back to? There's nothing to go back to. Yeah, it seems like the that all of that intellectual history, which you so eloquently described. With uh, hand motions <laughs> that you missed out on. Uh, it, it, say, somehow, what's happened is that, is that the presuppositions that people had um, have been replaced by uh, presuppositions, if you will, that have been manufactured by the scientific revolution kind of era. Mm-hmm. Right, so that um, whereas in the past people might have presupposed certain things about like, oh, well, clearly we're here for a purpose or whatever. Now they presuppose things like, well, clearly we're made of atoms, mm-hmm. uh, and that and that the the new presuppositions that we have are very good for getting after uh, certain types of scientific questions, like trying to arrive at. Uh, you know, a better understanding of physics or technology, mm-hmm. but are terrible at trying to explain anything remotely philosophical or having to do with anthropology or anything. Right? They're like they're so disembodied. I'm thinking about that scene in um, Dead Poet Society, or, or maybe too embodied, if you will. That that in Dead Poet Society, when Rob Williams' character, the teacher, is saying, um, he says that you know, business and commerce and science and he lists all this stuff. It was these are the things that were good, noble professions that we must have to preserve preserve life. But poetry and beauty and art, and he lists all this stuff. Philosophy. These are the things we preserve life for. Right. Right. It's like we, we we've gotten we have no reason to do this, and it's like it seems. It's just it's. I tell you where the rubber meets the road. Is you have the one-two punch of just, again, this weekend, someone has walked into a crowded place and opened fire and killed a bunch of people in South Carolina. Right. right. Now, this, he had a racist motive in this, right? But I've been listening to, um, well, a few year, a few weeks ago, I was listening to the uh, the, the courtroom drama of the, um, of the, the, on the live on the radio of um, James Holmes and the, the right. Aurora Theater shooting. And they were talking about, they were reading sections of his journals, and they were talking about, he was reading Nietzsche, he was reading all this stuff, they were reading all these, and his defense team was trying to read sections of his journals and make it sound like he was crazy. And I'm listening to these, and I recognize these ideas. I'm like, he's not crazy, he's just a nihilist. Right, right. He's not crazy, he just, he's bought in, and we're in a situation where... We have told two or three generations of kids now, there is no meaning except what you make. Basically, the will to power. Right. There's nothing but ones and zeros of atoms in the space in between them. Right. It's constructivist education. It's any yeah. kind of meaning right. is something that you place on it. Except for math. 
Except for math. <laughs> yeah, there's, there is no objective meaning to anything. Nothing means anything. And there sure as hell isn't anything resembling a right or wrong or right. an objective moral principles. This is all cultural, and you just assign your own value to it. And, and anything that says that there is a meaning or a value that holds sway over you that you have to assent to is occult and close-minded and manipulative religion. Right. And then someone walks into a theater and shoots everyone and creates a completely meaningless act. And people are all shocked and surprised. Right. We've been telling them. That, I, I, the thing that shocks me about that theater shooting or any of these shootings, what, what shocks me is it doesn't happen every day. Because we've been telling these kids, luckily reality has its sway no matter what we tell them. And they can tell they can tell that there is some meaning to something, right? But we've been telling there's no meaning for a couple of generations, and then when someone asks like there's something meaningless, right? We're all shocked by it. Well, you're the one who told them there is no God, there is no morality, there is no meaning, there's nothing but atoms in what you think about them. So why wouldn't he, if he wants to shoot up some people, find some meaning in that? Why would you have? What basis do they possibly have to tell him he shouldn't? Right? Because it's not nice. Right. Yeah, there isn't a because uh, you can't you can't make a moral argument when you've mm-hmm. destroyed the foundations of morality. Now, then the other side, the other that's the I said there's a one two punch. The other punch on this is that yet again, guy walks in, shoots a bunch of people in a church in South Carolina. Already news coming out, he was on SSRIs. Yeah, almost every major mass murderer in the last hundred, in the last century or so has been on psychotic drugs of some kind. So we've taken man out of his normal diet, out of his normal sleep pattern, out of his normal mode of existence. Pumped him full of drugs. Pumped him full of drugs. <laughs> when he Told him that everything is meaningless. Filled him full of pornography in the last right. 30, 40 years. So these right. dopamine response is all thrown off. And then, then we pump him full of uh, SSRIs to try to give him some more dopamine. Then his dopamine receptors downregulate and nothing stimulates him anymore except something extreme. And porn isn't enough now. So he goes out and shoots people. Right. And no one talks about it. They've every major shooter has been on some kind of psychotic drug, some kind of these uh, SSRIs, not psychotic drugs, but these these mind neurotransmitter altering right. substances. So when are we going to say that's a bad idea? Maybe we should figure out why we're all depressed. Well, the only the only point it's going to turn out that way is if somebody sues the drug companies after one of these events. Right, it's the market. Yeah, the only way yeah. to solve anything is go the after the pocketbook. You got to go after the pocketbook. So oh if somebody, was, because there's the thing is that ca- the capital has kind of become the core of all of it, right. and the only thing that moves anything. You and I were talking before we recorded about why. Why is there not a wellness paradigm in medicine? Why is there this, right. you know, a, treat everything as if wait till it's acute and then be really good at acute care? Right. Why do we, why are we way down on the list of infant mortality, but we're really good at fixing gunshot wounds because we treat everything, every medical problem as if it's a gunshot wound. You wait till it gets bad, then you stop the bleeding and fix the symptoms. Right. Right, rather than promoting like good eating and exercise and good health, because there's no there's no money in me saying hi. My name's Andrew. Have some broccoli. 
Right, but if yeah, it's if, hard to put that in a pill. if you come up with some sort of chemical, you know, that affects my brain or whatever, right. and makes and now you and, don't have to eat broccoli. Right, right. You can just take this drug. Yeah, just take this pill and never have to eat broccoli again. Right. Yeah. Just so you can eat whatever you want. You can eat genetically modified yellow number six or whatever. It's like all day long until you glow in the dark, and then all you gotta do is take this pill and you won't glow in the dark anymore. It's like what's well, like. It's like, I got a good crazy idea. If you eat something consistently that makes you go dark, don't eat that. It's like the old joke about a guy goes into the uh, doctor's office and says, doctor, when I do this, it hurts. And he holds his arm up a certain way, like in a weird thing. And the doctor says, well, don't do that. That'll be $100, please. Huh. I mean, it's, it's kind of that obvious, right? I right. Mean, right. So no, it is. Well, that seems like a, a good place to, to wrap it up uh, as any. It's only natural. It's only natural. It's only a natural place. It's a natural place. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, the, the the difficulty in my mind is that we don't have like a common conversation going, you know, that that is really going to change these things. It seems like there's going to have to be some sort of like crisis kind of mode that precipitates real change in the way that we talk about and think about our relationship with nature, and that that might take a while. Well, it's going to be. I mean, there's some people trying to push that conversation. Because of bigger climate stuff or whatever. It's like, oh, this is going to be the thing. Or people are dying. Autism is becoming so incredibly common. Sure. It's like, why is it becoming so common? This is the tipping point. We're going to have this big conversation about what are we doing wrong? What does it mean to be human? Or you know, yeah. but, every, but everyone is just going, no, we are just going to manipulate the system more and more. Whether it's on the macro level or the micro level. And get rid of these symptoms so we can keep moving. And nobody wants to ask the big question, which is what is our relation to all this as sentient beings? Every other species on earth just kind of, because they have instinct, they do kind of what they are. The problem is we have intellect and free will. Right. So we can choose to do something other than what we are. And we do consistently. Right. So, what aspect of what we are is given by nature, and what is art in the sense of like a kind of a proper taming of right. nature? To right, like animal husbandry or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. What? What's? What's? Where's what's, the line between that and exploitation? What's of a? What's? What's gardening and what's strip mining? Right. You know, and is strip mining strip mining? I mean, is mining legitimate? I mean, I don't know. I like. I like my computer. It's got things in it that you have to mine. I mean, how do you, is there a humane way to mine? Right. You know, it's like, is there a way to mine that is not, you know, abusive in some way? It's like, I mean, the, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions and I'm not here to try to give answers to most of it. But I just think we need to start asking ourselves, what, what is this? You know, and what are we in relationship to it? You know, what do you think? I think uh, those are good questions to ask. And uh, and now's the time to end. So, if you want to continue this conversation, as we beg you every once in a while, go to the Over the Counter Facebook page. Right. And find the uh, the episodes posting, and put us you know put some comments on there. Like, or, like or, us, or, or leave us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, leave us a rating on iTunes, or um, we should get an email address for that. Well. Whether you understand your relationship to nature or not, uh, or whether you are going to 
eat genetically modified food or grass-fed beef. <laughs> yellow number six until you or glow Or yellow in the number dark. six until you glow in the dark. <laughs> or whether you're going to sit around after this podcast wondering uh, whether you really are composed of atoms or not. We don't know. But we do know that you have arrived at the end of another episode of the Over the Counter podcast. I'm Mark Eastrick. And I'm Andrew Whaley.